welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. How are you? Bit husky. I'm operating at about 68% at the moment, but that's okay. How are you going? Can't hear myself talk, actually. My ears are blocked. Uh, anyway, so this could be a train wreck, eh? No, no, it won't be. It's good to see you. No, it'll be great. Um, hello? Very good. Was there offering? Oh, right. I was waiting for the prayer to then put this on during the prayer. You know, that's how I normally do it. That's okay. Um, good stuff. So, Jude, uh, we were watching TV the other night. Good to see you guys, by the way. Um, we were watching TV the other night. I'm not sure. Oh, I think we attempted to put gladiators on. <sighs> what a joke that is. Um, I used to watch it back in the day, actually. Um, oh, we could go anywhere. Um, but we, we put it on and it wasn't very good. But there was a song on an ad and Jude said, um, oh, we should do this song as a worship song. I'm like, wow, that's a bold move. I said, why is that? He's like, it sounds really good and it's about love. And I'm like, okay, cool. This was the song. I was made for loving you, baby. You were made for loving me. And I can't get enough of you, baby. That's pretty wild. Now, we know what the song means, so don't email, you know, complaints at echo.org.au. Is that a domain? Is that, yeah, yeah, it is. I think it's directed into the junk, but that's okay. So yeah, I mean, the lyrics are powerful because it says, um, we know what it means and I'm not suggesting that, that we sing that in that context. Um, it's just crazy. So shout out to Jude. Um, yeah, it's just about giving our lives to the Lord, I guess. And uh, yeah, good on Jude. So he's growing. So let's, re- let's rewind the clock. So we're, here we are Sunday. What date is it? 18th? So let's rewind back to 11th, which was Peter McHugh. What a great morning we had last Sunday. Really great. A great time of worship and, and encouragement. Uh, but let's, let's rewind a little bit further back to the Monday, uh, or even the Sunday. I spoke about gates and ladders, um, that we are a gate uh, that God wants to use to bring heaven to earth. We spoke about Psalm 24, 7 how David wrote, lift up your heads, O you gates, so that the King of glory can come in. Now he was talking about the Ark of the Covenant coming back into Jerusalem. So there would be a procession and then a song and a big deal made of something so great happening. So he would say, lift up the heads, which was a physical thing to the gates of the city. Lift up. Often there was a structure on top of the gates that they said, hey, these have got to be lifted up, if not for anything, a prophetic act, because the ark's not that big. But we want to just, we want to do something, we want to symbolise, we want to announce that this big, enormous, special event is happening. So lift up your heads, O you gates, be lifted up. But then we talked about how actually we see in Genesis, Jacob had a dream when he wasn't quite happy with where he was at with the Lord and he wrestled with God and, and he dreamed and, and, he, and he had this encounter with God where he saw a, a ladder 
stretching from heaven to earth and angels were ascending and descending. And he came to the realization that he said, oh my gosh, God is in this place. This is the gate of heaven. This is the house of God. Then we fast forward to Jesus and I'm just grabbing little bits and pieces of the message. It was a phenomenal message. But we, we, we move into Jesus' life and he came to reveal the Father. So anything that, that we hear about God that isn't seen in Jesus, we've got to flush down the toilet. Because he's perfect theology. He came to reveal the nature of God. So if you want to know what God the Father is like, read about Jesus. Which then leads us to encounter Jesus. It doesn't just stay at reading the scriptures. Because Jesus says, you think that the scriptures give you eternal life? He said, no, no, they point to me. So Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus said these amazing things about the Father, about what's possible. He came to model and demonstrate what God was like, what the kingdom was like, what it's about. And he said this crazy thing, that the disciples were stunned at some things that were happening. And he goes, you're going to see even greater things than these. You're going to see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So not only was it an Old Testament verse, but it moved into the New Covenant, the New Testament, which Jesus was modelling for us to live like. So for us to look at that psalm and go, great, for the Ark of the Covenant, that was the context back then. But as we glean from it today, we actually realise that, oh my gosh, like I'm part of this story. Like I'm part of his story. That he actually wants to use me as a gate as a conduit between heaven and earth. That he just doesn't want to stay up there and fix stuff and do stuff and it, it's out of our hands, so to speak, but he wants to actually use us. And, and that, was, that was amazing. And, and, I, and, we, and we felt such a stirring in the room and lots of testimonies that week and, and just, just some great reports of God moving out and about. I was landscaping during the week and and just felt the Lord speak to me about a guy that was at Kennards and, and I shared a word with him and it was bang on and he freaked out and just started to share about what God was doing in his life and, and just following those promptings that often we think he's not speaking but he really is and we're just learning how to hear his voice because he's always speaking but his first language is in English. So we just gotta, we got to learn and he's not demanding us hurry up. He's patient and kind. But we're on a journey to hear him for us and for others. And that was really cool. And then just on the job site talking to the foreman next door and he had, it, had his shoulder uh, in a sling. And, you know, you don't need a word of knowledge for that. It's just a word of observation. And, uh, and just began to chat with him and offered to pray. He's a strong, old, tough Foreman, 70, really open. Just encourage him around Jesus. And, you know, I mean, you know a prayer's going well when he said, can you pray for the other shoulder? <laughs> so just got to pray and encourage him. And sh he shared that his family was religious and got to talk to him. I said, mate, I hate religion. Well, what do you mean? Aren't you religious? I'm like, nah, I'm not, I'm not religious, actually. Um, yeah, I've got a relationship with Jesus. Religion's man's attempt 
Religion demands and places heavy burdens on people to perform, to appease God. But Jesus invites and enables. We see this like the story of the, the woman that was caught in the act, probably thrown at the feet of Jesus in the temple naked, but caught in the act of adultery. And the Pharisees, those that were meant to welcome Jesus in, but because they didn't perceive him to be who he said he was, because they had a concrete image of how he should come, didn't actually embrace and welcome him in, the one they were meant to, the one they were waiting for, the Messiah, the one to come. And they threw this woman down at his feet and they said, according to the law of Moses, she should be stoned. What do you say? And he's like, the new covenant in flesh. (laughs) Just slowly, brick by brick, trying to explain to them what's to come and the change that's happening. Moving from into. And we know this because at the start of his teaching, Jesus said, let's pause the woman, but at the start of his teaching, he would go and say, you've heard it say, an eye for an eye. It's pretty good form. You've heard it say, an eye for an eye, but I say, love your enemies. So he's referring to the law and what was appropriate, Old Testament. You've heard it say, if you commit adultery, you know, you're cooked. But he he says, but I say, if you look lustfully at a woman in your heart, you've already committed adultery. So he's up in the ante. Grace lifts the level. So the woman's thrown there and they, they demand an answer because they want to hold Jesus to account. And he takes his time and isn't rushed because he knows what the Father's like and he's come to reveal the Father and he gets up and he says, anybody who is without sin, go for it. And the Bible says that one by one they left And he knelt down a second time, said to the woman, where are your accusers? And she said, there aren't any. And then he said, neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. It's powerful. It's powerful. He came to reveal what the Father is like. Got to pray for another guy, an Indian guy, next door to the job that I was doing, just got to encourage him and pray for his shoulder as well and, and, and saw some improvement there and encouraged him around Jesus. And just a great week, just a great week. It's all happening. Purpose groups were happening, you know, encouragement happening, getting stuff done, testimonies, you know, good stuff. Sunday, Peter McHugh, worship, amazing, gathering together, big crowd, amazing. Peter, amazing. Dumplings after lunch. (laughs) Mr. Chef Dumplings, Clayton Road. Do yourself a favour. Number 52, number two, you've got to write your number down. Number 252, excellent. Special fried rice. Fried pork dumplings. Chicken and prawn combo, steamed. Really good. Chili wontongs, number 14, by the way. (laughs) 
Oh, stop it. D-Box even had the chili wontongs one time. Doesn't like chili. I was going to say, anyway. Uh, <laughs> we have a joke about chili. Anyway. Um, so that was all good, yeah? Do we have the storm on Sunday? What day was that? Oh, Tuesday. Anyway, that's a big storm, wasn't it? So anyway, so it's just great. And, and life's peachy for Justin. Sunday night, go to sleep. Oh, about 5, 5 a.m., get woken up. I'm like, hmm, tummy's feeling a bit funny. Might need to go to the toilet, excuse me. Um, so I went to the toilet. I'm like, ooh, what's going on here? Ooh, <laughs> what's going on here? <sighs> Google appendix. What side is it? <laughs> right. I've got pain on the left. Oh, it's on the right. Could, that, could it move around? Because far out, this is hurting me. And I'm like, and I'm like do I have a blockage? What did I eat? Oh, dumpos, the dumplings. The chili wongtongs have cost me here. <laughs> this, is a, this is a chili wongtong episode. And I'm blocked up. And I'm cooked. And I'm like... And then I'm, I'm starting to sweat and nearly spew. Sorry, vomit. Sorry. Um, and then I Google kidney stones. And I'm like, oh no, D-Box is, D-box is notorious for kidney stones. Has been. Um, and, he's, and my pa. So I Google them. I don't know why I Google them, actually. Um, maybe for some symptoms. And anyway, the pain's getting wild. And, and we do, like, when we pray for the sick, we, like, want to know what the pain level is out of 10, and that's a common thing for nurses and doctors because they want to gauge. We do that with our kids and a whole bunch of stuff. And I'm like, and I don't know what 10 is. Like, I think 10 would be your leg being sawed off, you know? <laughs> I would think that would be 10. So we, let's not say 10. Um, oh, let's not put the lid back on. Um, 10. So... I'm starting to get maybe seven or eight, and I'm sweating, and, I'm, and it's five, and, and Jude, uh, Lee was with Jude because he's not sleeping great, so I'm on my own in the main bedroom, and I'm walking around, I'm like, I've got to go to the ER, and I'm not going to get Lee to drive me, because then she's there, and the kids, and oh, it's a mess, I'm like, I'll just drive myself, and I'm like getting into eight and a half pain, so I get, put my thongs on, shorts, t-shirt, actually I didn't have a top on actually, because I was sweating, so I grabbed my t-shirt, and I get in the car, and it's going nine, and I'm doing 120 down the freeway. Stop it. Well, I'm just being honest. Okay, here we go. Everyone who hasn't sped, stay. <laughs> Remind me, let's talk about our personal convictions one Sunday. You know? Oh, our personal convictions that matter to us. Remind me, I've got to talk about that. It's a very good one. Where was I? 120. Oh, well, Jordan, did you really want me to tell the truth? I thought 120 was better. <laughs> Just in the little 1.8 cylinder Mitsubishi Mirage hatchback, my car. But I'm off the seat. I'm off the seat. And we're doing 120. And thank the Lord. I got, I got a green light at the bottom of um, Franks and Cranbourne Road. And I just got to pull up on the road. Oh, mate. And I walk in there and it's just a scene. Oh, it's crazy. 
which made it worse, just full on. People need Jesus. Um, just people screaming and carrying on um, for other reasons. And, I, and I'm getting worse. And I go in there and, uh, and I sit and I'm nearly, gonna, I'm nearly vomiting. Pain is just obscene. It's wild. Uh, to the point where I'm like, I need to see someone right now. And I, I'm praying. And I'm, I'm Jesus, I need you. Hol- I said Holy Spirit 74 times on the way there as I'm like foot down, <laughs> bottom off the seat, and I'm saying, Holy Spirit! <laughs> I'm like, oh, jeepers, you know. Just wild. Like, we had such a good week, didn't we? And then we're here. And then I get there, and, and, the, and the nurses, I mean, they couldn't be slower taking my information. I mean, fair in Um I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm saying, I need to see someone now. I know, I just need this information. <laughs> I've got 17 out of 10 pain, and I get what they've got to do. I'm just being silly. But, um, but then they say, just wait over there. I'm like, I need to see someone. And, they, and I nearly faint, and they get me a wheelchair. Um, I'm sitting in a wheelchair with just the scene around me, and I'm like, oh, wow. Anyway, go in there. Oh, I'm nearly done with the message. Um, <laughs> but I nearly, I go in there, and they, the, they come and interview me again. I'm like, mate, just give me something. So they give me five of morphine, did nothing. Then they just don't want to give me too much, and the pain's just, just wild. I've never experienced anything like it. And a nurse, a female and a male, multiple people all morning said it's worse than childbirth. Just letting you know. Um, So women, I know how you feel. Um, Yeah, both male and female, just to let you know. Multiple people. I'm just telling you, I was crying. I I didn't actually cry, but it was just wild. And uh, so they gave me another five of morphine, did nothing. Um, they gave me another five, did nothing. So I've had 15, did nothing. Then they put something somewhere that medicine shouldn't go. Um, and then I don't think that helped, but I just so happened to pass the stone. So, meaning it went into the bladder. Well, maybe that's not past the stone. But, but it went from here. Like, so the pain from the, going from the kidney into the bladder was just extreme. A nightmare. But then it got into the bladder and they showed me a CT scan and they said, you've got to wee it out, which I did successfully without any pain. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And, and I'm like, what a traumatic experience. I say all that to say. <laughs> I say all that to say. We have great weeks. And then we have stinkers. And we have moments where things are going great. And then things happen that are outside of our control. What do you do? Because not only that, I got home on the, on the Monday and then I got like this wild flu. Good timing. I was absolutely cooked and knocked out all week. And at about 68% now. And it just, it knocked me around. Yeah, and just some other stuff going down. And just knocked me around. So I don't know about you, but you can feel like things are actually 
going well. And then something happens and it knocks you around. Where you can feel like you're off course. Where you can feel like you're drifting. Where you can feel like you're not on the right track or on the right course or I don't know about I don't know about you but that's just how I felt this week and I know enough to know that we can't live by circumstances I love what Peter McHugh said last week about peace we're just obsessed with having circumstantial certainty as people and there's of course we do I want to know what's going on I want information. I want you to tell me. I want to know that we think that me knowing every detail is going to bring peace. But it's actually the trusting the Lord with all our heart and the leaning not on our own understanding, but in all of our ways acknowledging Him and He will make our paths straight. Because if we get deceived into thinking that life's always going to be good, then we live by circumstantial certainty and by circumstances all lining up all the time. And then when anything goes wrong, we lose the plot. And Jesus didn't teach that. He actually taught that we can actually have peace in the storm. Dictionary peace is the absence of war. Bible peace is the spirit that destroys chaos. So I was challenged again with this thought, with this swirl that happens. And where does the swirl happen? It doesn't happen in our spirit because our spirit's perfect. When we say yes to Jesus, our spirit comes alive, we're born again, and our spirit is perfect. So the swirl and the uncertainty and the dilemma happens in our soul, whatever that is for you, because we all go through things. We have great times, great weeks, great moments, and then something will happen and does happen, and it challenges challenges us. And I read this week in Hebrews 6.19, it was talking about how promises of God bring hope. And then the writer of Hebrews said, and this hope we have as an anchor for our soul that keeps us safe and secure. It's good news. One of life's great challenges is how to maintain current hope. Hope is not based on past and hope is not based on future. Hope is about the present, but it's looking to the future. So the importance for us to have hope actually holds us in our now because we're not sure what the future looks like. We don't know what's coming. We don't know 
the good things and the challenges that are going to come our way. And we want to know everything that's going to happen and everything that's going to go on, but we just don't know. But Jesus is like, you're going to go through stuff, but I've got a full list for you, and I've actually got hope for you, for your soul, that is actually an anchor. I've got peace for you that, if applied and embraced, is the actual very thing that you need and the undercurrent for your life. So he provides these truths, which is who he is, for us, so that we can live all the time with joy, with peace, and with hope. But it doesn't mean we deny and we just, hey, everything's great and it's all good. But he offers these things for us so that in these moments we step into him and we encounter him and we start to live out of hope and peace and joy. You with me? One Timothy one one it says that Jesus is our living hope. Hope is the anchor for our soul. Jesus is the anchor for our soul. Paul spoke about hope so much. In 1 Corinthians, it talks about like, the fight that we're in is not, it's not earthly. It's not in the flesh. It's not carnal, the Bible says. But it's, it's, it's a spiritual fight. There's obstacles and opposition. But he said that the, the weapons that you have received are not carnal. They're not fleshly. They're, they're powerful. They're divinely powerful for the demolishing of strongholds. He, he's explaining that the fight that we're in, the obstacles, the stuff that we wrestle against, it's not earthly. There's a battle going on. There's challenges going on. And throughout all of his letters, he's reminding us about hope. When he talks about that the weapons that we have to fight with are not carnal, meaning guns and knives and, and words, he's explaining a few things that come against us. And he talks about, he goes, we've got to be aware of these things that are going to mess with your mind and try and pull you down. And they're speculations, they're accusations. They're lofty things, they're lies that aren't true. So this past week has been a wrestle for me with lies and speculations and what-ifs that simply aren't currently true. Who knows that most of your what-ifs are negative? What if? What if? What if? What if that happens? What if, that, what if I get diagnosed with that? What if this leads to that? What if this is that? 
But I love what C. Backlund teaches is, what if we start to worry with God? Like, what if I've got too much money? <laughs> what if because of my consistent tithing and, and taking up on God, taking God at his word for decades, what if, what if that's actually building up just this ridiculous magnet for generosity and I'm going to have too much money? What if I'm going to be too healthy? <laughs> what if I'm going to live too long that my kids won't get an inheritance? <laughs> but often the, the negative, the, the what ifs are negative. So what if I fail this exam? What if I lose my job? What if she leaves me? What if he leaves me? What if, what if, what if, what if? And Paul was fully aware of this. And that's why he's like the greatest teacher on hope. And it's this secret kind of devalued word that we throw around. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. Now these three things remain, talking about eternal truths, faith, hope and love. He says in Romans 15, 13, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in your believing so that you can abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Timothy 1, 1 says that Jesus is our hope. Hebrews 6, 19 says that we have this hope as an anchor for our soul. Paul talks in Titus about the call to preach and that, that God designed each one of us with specific gifts and talents, that he chose you and wants to use you, that he wants you to know that you're a gate, that he actually wants heaven to flow through you to influence and impact people that you bump into, people that you love, people that you know that you are most alive when you're living for Jesus, not religion and performing for love, but, but knowing Jesus and experiencing his presence. And Paul knew this. This is what he said in Titus as we, as we come to a close soon. Did I delete Titus? Where are you? There you are. From Paul, God willing, God's willing slave and an apostle of Jesus, the anointed one, to Titus. So Paul's writing to Titus to encourage him. I'm writing to you to, to further the faith of God's chosen ones and lead them to the full knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, which rests on the hope of eternal life. God, who never lies, has promised this before time began. Hope is a big deal. Why was Paul so bullish on hope? Because you need it. You need it. What's hope? Hope is not wishful thinking. If you've heard this before, humility for another level of it. Hope. Confident, eager, confident, eager joyful, expectation, good. Heard it. Come on. This is what it means. In these scenarios of passing a 3.8 millimeter kidney stone 
where it's a physical pain that's stirring my soul into some junk, thoughts, heart. What the heck is happening? All week. But I've got an anchor for my soul, and that anchor's Jesus. And it's not just a thought or a philosophy. It's not just a principle, but a personal presence. If Mitch could jump up, that'd be great. But Paul was so bullish on thanks. Might get you to sing. I'm just kidding. Why was Paul so bullish on hope? Because he, he knows that hope is critical for your life. Hope is not past-based. Hope is not future-based. Hope is about the future, but it is not for the future. I'm going to say that again. Hope is not past-based. Hope is not future-based. Hope is about the future, but it is not for the future. Hope is for right now. Hope is a now word. Hope is a present tense word. This is why we need to hold on to hope. Paul knew this. He taught about it the most out of any writer. In the Proverbs it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. We're talking about our soul. We've got an anchor for our soul. We've got hope for our soul. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Because we're suckers for circumstantial certainty and needing everything to be lined up all the time, we expose ourselves to unnecessary disappointment without denying disappointment. But if we're tossed to and fro by the waves of circumstances and situations that we find ourselves in, whether we put ourselves in the mess or the mess happened to us, hope deferred makes the heart sick. What does that mean? If I defer my, my posture and position being I'm confidently, joyfully expecting good to come because of Jesus. If I'm deferring that, I'm susceptible to lies and things that aren't true and the negative what-ifs. What if I don't have enough money to set my family up? What if I get sick and this happens? But Jesus is like, I'm your anchor. You can feel like you're drifting, but even the big ships, there's slack on that line. It's still anchored. It's not tight. The ship still moves a bit, still goes away from the original position a bit, but the anchor is holding it in place. Hope deferred, hope pushed away, blocking ears and it's too hard and I'm not expecting good because of this, hope deferred makes our heart sick. But a dream realised is the tree of life. So how do we 
manage this deferring hope. I don't want my heart sick. Oh, we've got to look at another proverb. Guard your heart with all diligence. For out of it spring the issues of life. I don't want to defer hope. I've got to keep hope current because it's for now. It's about the future, but I've got to keep hope alive. I've got to get my hopes up. Deferring hope, it's connected to disappointment. It is. It's not always, but it's connected. Just the last couple of verses. And Paul has the audacity to say this in Romans 5.5 with everything that he went through. Talking about hope, he says this, and this hope does not disappoint. He says in another translation, and this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know, that word know is to know by experience, not principle, not through religion, not through formula, but to know. And this hope does not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with love. We're tempted to defer hope when we live by circumstances. That makes our hearts sick and we go in swirls and we feel like we're drifting But the Lord wants to show us that we can actually guard our heart to maintain and keep hope alive. And if we can do that, things work even when things get funky. Everything flows from our heart. Could we stand to our feet, please?